Great to be with you tonight. And uh, I, I must say, I, I felt as we were worshipping this evening that the air was kind of thick with the presence of God. I don't know if you, if, if that that phrase means anything to you, but, it, but for me, it really felt, oh, yes, I, I feel that God is here. So thank you, team, for helping us to offer our hearts to God. And there's something about worship. We believe that the Holy Spirit himself comes and helps believers worship and that we sense the presence of his spirit. So, again, if you're new to church and you thought, well, what's, what's that in the atmosphere? I hope that what you're sensing was the Holy Spirit, not anything weird. Um, we're, we're, we're preaching at the moment through um, a series based on a book of the Bible called the Book of Acts, which is the, 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 after Jesus died um, and then ascended, left planet Earth, his people carried on his work, his ministry. And they did that really through the power of God's Holy Spirit. And uh, that's why this series is called The Same Jesus, because Jesus, who began to do things in his incarnate body, continued to do things after he left the planet Earth and returned to, the, to where he came from, to be with his Father. But he kept doing things, the same Jesus, same sort of things, but this time through his church, as they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so... Um, I've got a couple more talks just based around that idea. But I'm going to read to you right at the very beginning from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. And uh, if, that, if there's a chance for us to get up on the screen as well, that's brilliant. And this is right at the very beginning of the book of Acts. Jesus has not yet gone to be with the Father. He's still with his disciples, giving them teaching and actually eating and drinking with them, which is amazing. But um, it says this in Acts chapter 1. When they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So, there we are. I'm really pleased, by the way, tonight. I went to the back of church and found my glasses, which I'd lost for a week or two. And this is them. I'm really quite pleased to have them back. Um, there's a little lost property box at the back. If you've ever lost property, go there. I always feel it's a duty of mine to try on the glasses just in case they fit. And then I can model them. And then if you recognize them, you can say, oh, that's, those are mine. Anyway, but these are actually are mine, just saying. Right. It's not for you to know the times or seasons or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. There was something unknowable. The disciples asked Jesus a question. He said, you know, it's not for you to know that. And I wonder, what things are there that are unknowable for us as human beings? What aspects of God are mysterious to us? I guess mystery is something which can keep on unfolding. And um, when, when, you, when there is a mystery, you can push into it and try and find answers. And we may not have all the answers about God yet. And maybe there are some things that in this lifetime we will never know. The Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, and kind of says some very detailed things about God, and actually has some extraordinary visions. He talks about being caught up in the third heaven and saying things that he was not permitted to tell. But he says this as well. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. 
When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And when, when Paul says, we see in a mirror dimly, in, in the, the times of the Roman Empire, a mirror was a, a sheet of metal that was polished. And you know, if you, if you ever look at a sheet of metal, you can get a kind of glimpse of yourself, but it's not as clear as a modern mirror by any means, is it? And Paul was saying, look, we, we do see stuff, and it, it's true, but it, it is obscured, it's not fully. And he says, we, we know in part, this is Paul saying we know in part. The Apostle Paul saying there's some things about God which I don't fully know yet, and one day I will know, but what are those things? So there's some things that we're not going to know, but there's also some things we can be certain of. And I wonder what things tonight are certainties for you. Two questions, real question for you. What is it that's unknowable? Maybe questions that you're asking God right now. And what things are you certain of right now, certain of tonight? I think some of the big mysteries of faith are around, why does God allow suffering? Why are my prayers not answered? And I wonder what you'd say to someone who came to you with those questions. It's a question that the Bible itself asks very often. And the psalmists particularly ask all kinds of questions to God. They, they ask questions like, how long are we going to have to put up with this? Why do people who seem to be wicked prosper and people who seem to be righteous suffer? What's going on, God? And as Christians, I think we have to get used to living with mystery. I'm going to read to you Psalm 131. It's the whole psalm, but fortunately it's only, two, it's only three verses long, but I'm going to read it to you. Uh, it could come up on the screen as well. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I've calmed and quietened myself like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child, I'm content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. That's the whole psalm. I, 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 there's a phrase, I've stilled and quieted my spirit, which I remember from another version, another translation of that psalm. And there's something about this, this psalm is saying, gosh, there's the stuff I can't know. Things, and I'm not even going to go there. What I am going to do is be like a weaned child. I'm going to put aside my... I'm going to seek intimacy with you, God. I may not know everything about you, but I want to be close to you. And we know that a, a little baby, a child, a, a toddler, they're not going to know everything about their mum and dad. They're not going to know about their business or so much they won't know, but they will know that they're there and they're for them and they love them. And I think whatever else we don't know or understand about God, what we do need to know is that God loves us, that he's for us, that he loves us more than the best parent could love us, and that he wants us to know him too. And this is this extraordinary thing, the unknowable God wants us to know him. The unknowable God, the God who's mysterious, is reaching out to us and wants us to learn and discover, to press into his mystery and to know him better. So I think it's really important as Christians when we think about the unknowables, that we, we focus on the right unknowables and not the wrong unknowables. There, there is a mystery that God wants to reveal to us. And in fact, the whole of the scriptures, the whole of the Bible is the story of God revealing a mystery that actually he wants to rescue and redeem the whole world. And he wants to do it through his son, Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, 
And that mystery was really hard for people to grasp. That's why people missed Jesus when he walked around planet Earth, you know, because they, they just thought, oh, this, this can't be the way that God wants to work. But for those of us who've seen Jesus, here's a mystery being revealed, but there's more of us, more to press into. But sometimes we kind of major on the minors. We major on the things that are not important for us. This question that the disciples ask in the book of Acts, are you going to restore the kingdom now? Are you going to come back? One of the um, questions that many people have been obsessed with throughout the history of Christendom is, when is the second return of Christ going to happen? When is it all going to end? When's the day of judgment? That question started pretty early in church history. People were thinking, oh, when's it going to happen? Has it come now? And there have been literally hundreds of predictions of, 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 of when the world's going to end or when Jesus will return. And, and, and most of them have passed, and some of them are still dates out there, you know, 2058 or whatever it is. But Jesus was really clear, not just for his disciples, you don't know. He said himself, only the Father knows. I don't know when that day is going to be. It's the time the Father has set. So it's really not going to be helpful for us to get into that kind of speculation. And yet it's extraordinary that Christians actually will divide around speculative matters, things that, uh, you know, what's an angel like? Or <laughs> exactly how did God create the world? You know, the, the things that actually, they're in the realm of, of mystery. But one of the big mysteries, as, as I've already mentioned, is that mystery of suffering. And I want to read to you another story that Jesus about Jesus, about the person that we've come to worship, the person we love, and how he dealt with the question of suffering. And I'm going to read to you from... John chapter 9. It's, I think it's a marvelous story. I love it. And as, if you listen to it, if you're not familiar with the Bible, maybe it will stir in you a love for Jesus too. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night's coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing and the neighbors, and those who'd seen him before as a beggar, were saying, isn't this man the one who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he's like him. <laughs> he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, well, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed to receive my sight. They said to him, where is he? I don't know, he said. So they brought to the Pharisees a man who had been formerly blind. And it was a Sabbath day when the Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he'd received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? He, they, he said, he's a prophet. 
And the Jews didn't believe that he'd been blind and had received his sight. Until they called the parents of the man who'd received his sight and asked him, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, We know that this is our son, and he was born blind, but how he now sees, we don't know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. But the Jews had already agreed if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God, we know this man's a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Quite a long passage. Great story. There's more in there. Go away and read it. John chapter 9. It's, it's, it's beautiful. But when Jesus is asked, who sinned, this man or his parents? The disciples had a worldview that was based on their understanding of God and the Old Testament. And that was a cause and effect worldview. If something bad happens to someone, then there must be something that they've done that's brought it on them. That's how it works. And that kind of very simplistic worldview is something which Jesus actually refutes. What he says is that suffering doesn't come because we've brought it on ourselves, like some kind of karma. You could translate um, Jesus' reply in, in a couple of ways. But I think a great way to, to translate his reply is, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened. Stuff happens. And then he goes up to say, so that it's day, so, so, so we may, may do the will of him who sent us, while it's day, let's get on and do it. In other words, I'm not telling you why it happened. All you need to know is it wasn't because of the sin of the man or the sin of his parents. But so, you know, it's, they're, they're trying to deal with a mystery. They're trying to deal with a mystery of suffering, and they're trying to come with a conclusion. And one of the things I, th I think that we're so often confronted with is we do not know why people suffer. We don't know why good and lovely people get ill, have terminal illnesses, have severe disabilities. We just don't know. We don't understand why. Sometimes we can know. Sometimes we can say, oh, there was that thing that happened, that reckless driver, that, um, that chemical thing that was spilled, or whatever it is. We can, we can understand things. Sometimes we can trace some genetics. But most of the time, and for a lot of the time, we just do not know. We don't always know what motivates even the evil that people do to one another. Why is it? Why is there evil and suffering in the world? We don't know. Why does God permit things? Why does God not just end it? There are some clues in the Bible, but there is a whole realm of mystery there. But what Jesus does say is, we may not know why, but we can discern what God wants to do right now. And, and for Jesus, whose whole way of life was, I want to keep in step with the Spirit. I want to do what the Father's doing. I want to see what he's up to. He's saying, the Father's got something beautiful and good to do today. The Father wants to heal this man. So let's go on and, and join in and partner with the Father. And that's what Jesus does. This blind man has never seen Jesus. It's very hard for him to understand what's going on. He, he's blind. He hasn't seen Jesus healing people like other people in the crowds have done. He, he doesn't know who Jesus is. 
And Jesus gives him something very practical to do. He puts mud on his eyes, says, go and wash. And in that very act of going and doing, that must have been an act of faith on that guy. And it gave him something very tangible to do that helped his faith, gave him something to hang on. And lo and behold, he can see. And it's extraordinary. And it's extraordinary. And it it causes offense because the religious people said, you shouldn't be doing things like making mud on the Sabbath day. That's like a building activity. Work is forbidden. You know, for the, for the Jews, they'd interpreted and put lots of detail on the basic laws that God had given to human beings, had given to Israel about keeping the Sabbath holy. So they thought, oh, well, what does it keeping the Sabbath holy look like? And they'd made lots of rules and regulations. Jesus kept on breaking them because what he said was the Sabbath wasn't, uh, was, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This, the Sabbath was meant to be a blessing and day of rest, a day of peace. And isn't it good to do good on the Sabbath? That was his point of view. But religious people really thought, you, oh, you've got it wrong, you know? And so, in many ways, they were the blind ones, really. But I love the fact that even though there's a mystery about why it happened, God does something. And what happens to the blind man is he becomes a witness. I love his kind of feisty response to the, you know, well, I don't know whether this is or not, but one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And he goes on to say, look, why keep asking me? Do you want to be one of his disciples too? That's his, his response to them. And they get really irritated with him because they can't really refute what's happened to him. In the unknowable as to why, there's an irrefutable reality that God has acted. And this guy is now a witness. And that is the position that the early church are in the book of Acts. They also ask uh, an unknowable question. Is this the time? When is it going to happen? When's the kingdom going to come? Jesus said, it's not for you to know. But you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that is the job of the Holy Spirit, actually. The job of the Holy Spirit is to help us to be witnesses to Jesus. The Holy Spirit actually is always doing God's stuff, Jesus' stuff in the world. And he does that with us and in us and through us. And when we encounter God, and when God's using us and blessing us and changing us and transforming us or helping us to transform others, we can be witnesses of all that God is doing. We can be witnesses to the works that God is doing right now. Just like the blind man was a witness of the work that Jesus was doing and God was doing right now. So what you'll find is the book of Acts is full of the stories of people who are witnesses. And sometimes you get those stories several times because they're so important. You get Paul's story of a transforming account when on his way to persecute the church of Damascus, he has an encounter with Jesus when he's, he's actually blinded, fall off his donkey, hears a voice from heaven. Here's Jesus said to Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And that story is recorded several times because... Paul is a witness to what God has done. And through reality, he's met Jesus. Peter's story is repeated several times. And, and Peter's encounters with uh, pivotal moments, the, the testimonies are recorded. And, and they're witnesses of what, what God has done. When the church is in debate about, well, shall we include the, the Gentiles as part of the church? Or do they all need to become Jews? Peter and Paul give testimonies. They tell stories. Well, this is what we've seen God do. And we're witnesses of it. And when we're looking for an answer, let's, let's, let's describe what God has done in our lives. 
So here's some things for me just to leave with you as I kind of round up this little talk. I think all of us need to live with mystery. And a better question than why has this happened is where are you in this God? And that's particularly true about suffering. Now the challenge of suffering is sometimes if we're suffering, it's really hard to hear God. We're the one with the symptoms. We're the one with the emotional pain. We're the one with the physical pain. We're the one, and you know, it can be really hard to hear God when we're suffering. But it's extraordinary how God is seeking to reveal himself to people who are suffering and to be very, very present. My, my colleague Rachel was telling us about a funeral that she went to last Saturday. And it's a funeral of a couple who had been part of this church for a long time and their little boy um, died of a brain tumor. He was just, I think, four years old when he died, little Joel Parker. And none of us know why he contracted that brain tumor. And we don't know why a little child loved and wanted by his parents should die prematurely. But Rachel, who went to the um, funeral in Hampshire where they've moved, said it was like being on holy ground. There was such a sense of, of, of God with them, God's presence there, that we can't say, why did it happen? But we can say, where are you? And, and what God was doing right now was covering that broken, bereaved family with his love and creating something of a witness in that occasion where people say, these people still trust in a loving God, even though this awful thing has happened to them. And, and Rachel herself has lost a, a child prematurely. Her 10-year-old was killed in a hit-and-run accident. And, and we can say, well, yes, there was a, someone who was driving who was high on drugs and all that sort of stuff, and there's a reason. But why did, why did you allow it, God? It could be a big question. But for Rachel, she's also push, pushed through and said, I can't answer the ultimate why, but what I do know that God is for me and God is good. And, and she has a testimony of resilience and trust in and love of God, which is why she's so passionate about Alpha and things like that. Because she wants other people to know this God who can be trusted in the face of life suffering and the face of what is unknowable in terms of answers. I'm, my, my, my knowledge is too limited. I am like a child as far as the universe is concerned, let alone God. I don't understand. One day I will see face to face, but for right now I'm living with mystery. But what I do know is that God is good all the time. I know that when bad things happen, it's not because God is a bad God. I don't understand why things are permitted that are not God's will on planet Earth, but I know that that's true. But I want to witness what I do know. And so let's try and be a people who learn to ask the question, where are you? And help other people find the presence of God when they're struggling too. Second of all, let's not divide about what we don't know fully. Let's not waste time and energy on speculation. Let's not get judgmental about people who think differently to us, about things where we can't know some of the ultimate answers. But let's act on and obey what we do know. So, 
What do you know about God that's authentic to you? What I, what I want to say to you is, don't let what you don't know about God stop you sharing what you do know about God. I don't know how God made the world. Some Christians believe in a literal seven-day creation. Some Christians believe that God made everything that is slowly through theistic evolution. Some people believe that Genesis, the opening chapter of Genesis, are a metaphor, a poetry. What's important to me is that God created what is out of what is not. That's what Hebrews says. By faith we believe God created what is visible out of what is invisible. I believe that. I don't know how he did it. That's a mystery. And I'm not going to divide around that. I'm going to say what I know. I know that God created the heavens and the earth. I know that God created me. I know that he created you. I know that you're in God's image. And I'm going to hold on to that. And I'm not going to divide or, you know, if, if people say, well, as a Christian, I can't believe what you believe because you're, you're too literal about God creating. I say, well, it's a mystery. <laughs> if you can tell me how it's done, great. <laughs> but what I do know is that God is real. He's for me. And he made me and he loved me. So, I guess, are you up for being a witness? And what I mean by that is, are you somebody who knows that you've got a reality with God that you can share whenever it's appropriate to do that. Now, some people are evangelists and they have a gift and an easiness with talking with people who have no idea about the Christian faith, about the Christian faith. And there there are people who who have got a, a capacity and an ease at and soul winning, about making it easy for people to understand about Jesus and follow him and, and maybe call them to steps of discipleship. But I, I'm not sure that everybody's like that. And for some of you, you'd feel if, if you tried to, to be like that, you would just feel awkward and ill at ease and um, <laughs> embarrassed and not very British. <laughs> yeah. But what you can do is you can share what God has done with you And if you hang around with people who don't know Jesus long enough, there will be times when your story will come out, when your experience will come out. And that's been my experience of just living alongside neighbors, living alongside people, of doing life with people. There's often times where it will come out. My relationship with God, my trust in God, uh, the way that God has shown me mercy, the way God has, 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 has brought healing to me and through me to other people. And we've got a story to share. And it's authentic, because I'm not trying to tell someone else's story. I just want to tell my story. Someone else may have a better story than me, but this is my story, and it's true. And I think if you've got a story of God in your life, it may be just a little itsy-bitsy story, but if it's true, it's powerful. And I just want to kind of give you confidence tonight, just that you're called to be witnesses, and the Holy Spirit wants to enable you to do that. And he will bring you alongside people. You don't have to sort out all the mysteries. You don't have to understand all that stuff before you start to share your faith. You can say, I don't know. When you do Alpha, an Alpha small group, we say, any questions possible? And sometimes a good Alpha group leader will say, I just don't know. I'll try and talk to someone who might have a better idea than me, but I just don't know. 
But it's all right to say I don't know. But this I do know. For I know my Redeemer lives. That's what Job said in, in his book, where he was faced with suffering, he was faced with it. No, I don't understand. I'd love to have a dialogue with God. I, I wish God that I, I could understand why I've lost everything and why I'm suffering so much. But this I know. I know my Redeemer lives. It's a glimpse of Jesus in the Old Testament. And I know my Redeemer lives. I know that Jesus, who died for me, is risen. And that his spirit is in my heart. And I came to know that just as quite a young person, really. But he's lived with me ever since. And as I finish tonight, I, I just want to say, if you feel like you haven't got a story about God, you can have one. Because God wants to include all of us in his story. He wants to include all of us in his family. He wants to enable all of us to be a witness because he wants to work his good things in each of our lives. So as I, as I pray to close, I suppose I'd, I'd really love to give people an opportunity to, um, to know how, how you could welcome Jesus into your life if you've not yet done that. Because it might be that tonight you're here and you're someone who's been exploring faith or thinking, you've just come along to a church, and you've, this, this might be very new to you. And, but there's something that's caught your attention. There's something about that presence of the Holy Spirit in the room that I described. Something about this mysterious God who is making himself known to you. And, and you might feel your heart's warmed towards him. And you might want to say, well, well, God, if you're real, I want to know you more fully. And if Jesus is real, I, I, and he is good news, and he is the one who is the rightful Lord of creation, the one who's rightfully in charge, I want to give my life to him. So if you're in that position at all, this is how I would pray if I was starting off all over again. And I'm going to say it slowly, and you can say it with me if you'd like to, in the, in the quietness of your own heart and mind. Father God, I've been, I've been reaching out for the invisible God. Thank you for showing me your nature in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you becoming a human being, living with us and dying on a cross and bearing all the pain and suffering and sin of the world made it possible for me to give you all my rubbish, all the things that have hurt me or the things I've done that have hurt you. Lord Jesus, I want you in my life. I want to know God, your Father, my Father. Forgive my sins. Help me to welcome you to be fully in charge of my life. Give me your Holy Spirit. Soften my hard places. Soften my hard heart. Open my eyes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And we're going to go back into worship in a minute. But um, I suppose one thing I, I would love to do tonight, I talked about suffering and saying that we don't know why the suffering. We don't know why individual people are sick. But what we can do is pray for people. And, and my experience over more than 50 years of being a Christian 
is that when I pray for people, God does things. And sometimes that includes physical healing, and sometimes it includes his love and mercy and his presence. But if tonight you're sick in mind or body, and would love someone to pray with you, we have a ministry team, just along the side here. We'd love to pray with you, if you would value that. So um, when we go back into worship, if you'd like prayer, why not come forward and uh, we'll just chat to you quietly. And we may take you in the, in the side chapel if it's a bit noisy with the worship. We only go in there uh, just to avoid the noise, not because it's a kind of mysterious secret place where we do weird things. Um, so you'd be really welcome to come. So Holy Spirit, we pray for your ministry among this congregation tonight, that you touch us with your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.